0: Greetings and salutations, you are listening to the Into the North podcast, where we take a look at the competitive side of the commander format, also known as CEDH. I am one of your hosts, Lyndon, aka Noobzors, and today I am joined by my co-hosts, Matt, aka Null. What's up, everyone? Reed, aka Sick Robot. Hey, how are you doing? And special guest, John Wasson. Hello. Uh, and in this episode we're going to be covering MTG finance as it pertains to EDH, CDH, and also just covering it a bit more generally. It's uh, yeah,
1: it's the curse topic. <laughs>
0: yeah. This is this is one that's been uh, especially relevant lately and and we figured this would be uh the 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 time to cover it. So just to to give a a bit of a background on our guest. Uh so I know uh John from the uh Kingston Magic community. Uh so he he he's interacted with uh, Morgan and Matt uh, as well. Um, so John makes his living buying and selling magic cards, uh, but he's not an LGS owner. So this kind of spe- he, he can speak more to the MTG finance aspect and not just like the uh, making money from operating in LGS and running events and that kind of thing. Uh, he's been heavily focused on EDH specs in the past, so I think he's he's especially good as a guest for this uh, this this podcast. Um, and he's also a, a fairly decent magic player. He's been on uh, three PTs. He's got a winning record overall. Um, and he's, he's uh, well. I'm not going to read this last point that says better than ah. Uh, you know, fine. He wrote down better than Linden and everything. And you know, I'll I'll, I'll give it to him. <laughs> but I'm going to get in my burn because uh, he's a you know. Speaking of burn, John is a notorious burn scumbag. So you you can just t- take from that what you will. Uh,
2: it says savant on the. Page. Well, I I, I I'm going to say scumbag. <laughs> Uh, John, uh, is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've done some, some good buys in the past for, for EDH, and, uh, I guess I'm supposed to talk about some specific things that I've done, or buys that I've made that are relevant to the community. Um, I bought a lot of Mono Green in the past, uh, uh, big on the Devoted Druid Spike, that's not Commander, but whatever, Spikes are Spikes, um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of all the the big, big hits that I've had. I just kind of go relatively deep on a lot of things, and uh, a a lot of it works out because my either intuition on it or information I get from other people that I listen to has been pretty successful. And uh, I get to do a lot less specking now because my collection has gotten big enough that I can just move through cards. So pretty much, I think, the best scenario you can have as a... Uh, an investor is to get to a point where you can cut ties with that strategy and play less risky. And I went spec wise to get to a point where I didn't have to do it anymore. So I would consider that a, a success.
1: You got out. Yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's basically like trying to day trade to get enough uh, in the banks that you can just put it into mutual funds so, and sit back, right?
2: I've said this to people before imagine going to Wall Street except instead of every person also being a shark, they're all people running around saying, do you have any pretty dragons? (laughs) (laughs) And and you're the only person that knows where the the stocks are even at and they don't care. They just want the thing that they want. It's the most abusable stock market you can find. Unfortunately, Um, good news is you don't have to do like, heinous things to make money at it. You can. I mean, there are people out there that do, like, grotesque things. I would say that what I did with Devoted Druid was one of those things, but that was an exception to the rule. I don't usually do full TCG buyouts or anything like that. That was just the one time.
0: So what what did you do
2: with Devoted Druid? So, yeah, we bought out TCG, me and another guy. We took, like, 1,200 copies or something off there. They were 39 cents at the time, and then they went to $12. And we, we got... So the, the other guy that I was with had them all shipped to him. And we were at a different GP with all the stores there, some of them that we had bought the cards from. And he started opening all the packages at the GP. And we just got all these uh, devoted druids out. And then we just sold them back to the vendors at the GP for like, you know, $8 trade or something. Oh at my the time, God. And it was just, it was very funny. So um, if you do a, something like this and all the stores figure it out, they, they don't like it and they put on the back of each of their packages of devoted druids, a card that was just like a backer, but it was always like a very aggressively worded card, like, you know, die in a fire basically. <laughs> and wow, they were all okay. sending different cards with that name. Like, we know what you're doing, you're a jerk. Mm. Um, it, was, it, it was funny, but also like, I, I never wanted to do those things in the first place that badly. But Devoted Druid was just such a layup when Busy Remedies got spoiled that I did it once. I don't feel bad that I did it, but I definitely got the message and decided not to do those things anymore. Right on. It was yeah. it was funny, though. <laughs> I, I did enjoy that day.
0: Um, okay, so, well, before we get into the main topic, let's just cover some new developments. Um, uh, recently, we made an appearance on the Mystic Remora stream uh, for some two-headed giant shenanigans, and we maintained our very very winning record against them for like, <laughs> 7-0 or something and uh. we'll, well we'll have to uh, we'll have to make another appearance sometime and and give them a chance to, uh, <laughs> to 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 salvage some some respect and or just keep farming them you know <laughs> yeah, which, yeah. Whichever yeah, yeah that's turns another out. option as well um yeah so big shout out to mr grimora's yeah. check them out uh, we love you guys super yeah. fun yeah uh, and, and and lastly, I also made a uh, guest appearance on the CEDH cast, uh, where they did an episode on the GitRog Monster. And so I was on there as an expert guest, along with uh Bending Guy from the GitRoG server, so uh check that out. Um yeah. And let's just jump into the main topic. So the reason why we're really doing this this uh this episode topic is because, you know, COVID nineteen and quarantine has really uh Shown, shown that if you keep an eye on MTG stocks at all, or if you're trying like the website MTG stocks, uh, which shows like price fluctuations on on a daily basis. So if, if you're trying to keep an eye on MTG finance, that's a uh, good place to check and, and how things are going. But or if you're just trying to buy cards, you'll you'll have noticed that uh, things are getting expensive. Uh, so we'll we'll delve more into the causes or, or what some people are suggesting the causes for the uh, the spikes might be a bit later on. Um, but I think we're, we're going to start uh, by talking about or, or just getting John's opinion on a, on a bunch of different uh, things relating to MTG Finance overall first. So, first off, w- what are your opinions on the MTG Finance community? Um, be that like, you know, big names, uh, like Rudy from Alpha Investments or... Um, I mean that's the biggest name, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Just walking. I guess Jason Alt is a pretty big name as well, um, or, or be it like casual speculators who who go on the you know MTG finance subreddit and you know pick up random cards or spec you know random BS. Uh, what, what what are your thoughts, John?
2: So, I don't follow many other finance people. Um, they tend to not have anyone that they're talking to's best interests at heart. Uh, i don 't see why they would tell you their secrets um, Rudy as an opinion specifically emphasizing opinion here, I just think that everything that I hear from him is just to try and bait people into giving their money to help his stock levels rise i don 't see reasonable things that i you know he he has flair and flash and stuff, but that sounds like the You know, a car salesman type strat to me, and I don't think that there's anything people should take from him other than entertainment. If they're listening to him, I think it's a mistake. Um, The other finance, I'm certainly not going for finance on Reddit, sorry, not happening. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, The only other thing that I've seen recently, and I don't usually watch, but I was specifically on this one because of uh, double masters being talked about, was Tularian Community College. I saw the last video he did where he talked about what should be in that and stuff, and I thought it was... It, I'm not going to say misleading, because I th- think that he isn't saying anything he doesn't believe. I think it's just the most inaccurate assessment I've ever seen on a topic like this. It's... Do you want to give it, a, it, uh, it, it like just a brief, brief summary
0: of his... his uh, okay.
2: I, I know we're going to get into Double Masters later, so I'll, I'll okay. leave some of it, but his mindset is he's a very excited magic player who who loves the game and wants to play the game and he wants it to be cheap and he thinks that the idea of getting something cheap is having an msrp but also having all the good cards bunched into a master set like a true some fan designed this set master set and somehow it would still work for limited but that's a side issue Mm. uh he wants all the good cards he wants fetches in there he wants to bring the price down due to high volume of good stuff and that is the exact opposite of how anything ever works. It's just wrong. It's been proven wrong by every master set prior. Cards temporarily go down. Some cards that aren't mythic, they're at rare or that are uncommon or something do die. But the cards that drop in price from those sets are always offset by cards that aren't in those sets that spike to compensate because Stores aren't taking the losses. The people that are taking the losses on those are the people that invested in the wrong cards or the people that just have decks that had the cards that got reprinted. Mm. Those people lose a ton of money. Those are not the people you want to, you know, kill their collections. And the people that, like the stores that have all these cards that go down, they offset right away by going wide enough to have the cards that aren't reprinted an example would be when Karn Liberated gets reprinted in Second Masters. Ugin goes up because they're both Tron cards. Okay. So if you have 12 Karn Liberateds as a store, you lose money. But if you have 12 Ugins as well, eh, it's fine. It doesn't. It, it's an equal opportunity, you know, net whatever. But the the one guy who has Tron half built, or the person who has a Jund deck when, um, you know, a Thoughtseize and a Tarmogoyf and uh, something else get reprinted those people take much bigger losses and the master's cards after the print run is done bounce back pretty strong most of the time but it's not a, a completely accurate thing but it always just leaves the net uh, the end result of all cards higher because the cards that spike stay up and the cards that drop bounce back so the cards just end up higher there is a way to fix it it has nothing to do with master sets asking for bigger things to come in master sets is just a cash grab for the people selling packs. And they sell a bunch of packs, everyone gets a whole bunch of stuff that they're happy about, then the customers come to the stores looking for the singles to finish their decks, realize they're way more expensive, think the stores are doing something scummy, blame the stores. Man, stores can't just take tens of thousands of dollars in net losses on singles and just be like, oh, shucks, I guess we got it wrong this time. That's not how things work. So the customers end up eating it because they pay more for the new cards to, to go with the cards they got in their packs and like the the stores don't lose money i don't lose much or anything when a master set comes out as far as singles go it's just wonky i think i had a weekend when masters three came out where the friday everything got spoiled i lost nine thousand dollars and then by the end of the weekend i was up two grand But that's because I was white enough. Like, that was the abrupt decay thing, because I have a bunch of abrupt decays. I lost a bunch there, but everything else started spiking, and I was, like, positive too. So you're not hurting me. The the people that are getting hurt are the people that randomly have, you know, those types of cards that are the wrong half of the lottery when the spoilers come out. Hmm. Uh, But the people that win are always wizards.
0: To talk about, you, know, mentioning, you mentioned a bunch of cards that have recovered in price, and you know, I, I immediately think back to uh, Force of Will and Mana Drain. Uh, you know, they were reprinted in a Master set uh, a couple years ago, and they're yeah. already back up. They've already recovered to uh, at or where yeah. they were J- beforehand. J- uh,
2: Jace I mean, is a little bit of an exception because uh, the modern unbanning just made that card a wonky mess forever, but Force of Will is a very, very good example of that.
1: Yeah, I would also say, like, a you, you can sort of see this in, I know it's like the point that's talked to death, but you can see it in fetchlands as well, where you see fetchlands dip after reprint, and then pretty much immediately start climbing again.
2: Have you seen cons fetches in the last few yep. weeks?
1: Just through the roof.
2: Windswept's almost doubled, uh, you know, Bloodstains back to 40 Canadian. Uh, like, these are not... These are the numbers that you want the old fetches at, not the like. I mean, I'm obviously fine with the fetches being somewhere in the range consistently. If all of them were in the, it, yeah, if all fetches were thirty to sixty dollars or something, that would be fine with me. If that was just where they stood, but when the other ones are still so high, I don't want the cons ones to also be that high. Yeah. Uh, I don't want cons catching Zendikars. I want Zendikars and cons to meet somewhere. Not quite in the middle, but you know, in the forty to fifty range. Yeah,
1: toward, toward toward the lower end. Um Like,
2: so I'm not going to speak for every store, but I don't want my cards to be that expensive. I want my cards to be consistent. If all of my hundred dollar cards went to forty, and all my five dollar cards went to ten to offset, I'm fine with that. Yeah, like you, you I don't want to see cards that scare people out of the game. You
1: want and you want your you want your high volume movers to be like a bit more accessible because then it's a lot less risky to take on more of them and then like i don't know I'd say like new players want to get into the game they're too afraid to pick up the high movers for existing formats right or for entrenched players
2: and to add to that um i want them to not be so high that people are um hesitant on moving them back to me sure i i want you know the you know, if you see a, a card that's a hundred dollars, like a scalding turn or something, people are like, man, do I really want to get rid of this card? I'm probably never gonna have it again. But if the scalding turn is forty dollars, yeah, like no, thirty um,
1: three
2: for it or something, they're fine. Whatever. They'll get it back later. It costs them seven dollars. No problem.
1: Yeah. Especially and that's so, especially true when sorry, I, I just want to tackle on yeah, one more uh, part to this. But I think that's especially true as well that um like cards like fetches tend to not move when there's an idea or prevailing um sense that a reprint is going to be far away and that you can continue holding on to them right
2: yeah and we know when the other fetches are supposed to be coming back it's supposed to be the end of the year in the next commander sets i believe that was what we were led to believe because they're not coming in double masters but they are coming this year is what they said
0: yeah so what do you think about casual speculators who you know Throw their, their they don't make a they don't make a living off of uh, speculating on magic cards, and they more or less just you know throw money around and, and buying lottery tickets on on random cards they think are going to spike. Do you think that's healthy or, or inconsequential or, or actively detrimental?
2: Um, same thing I did when I started. Go wide and have patience. Uh, don't buy 80 cards. of yeah, if you're of going a card if you're start. going
3: narrow, like there's you're pretty much just gambling. Like you're pretty much just going to the slot machines. Just,
2: just buy packs at that point. You want to chase the, you know, the dream. Chase the dream. But if you end up with twelve copies of twenty different cards Mm -hmm. and you have two years to sit on it, if you've done even any uh, studying going into this, you'll do fine. You won't necessarily crush, but your goal shouldn't be to crush. You can't go from a fifty dollar investment to a two thousand dollar payoff, but Mm -hmm. you can go fifty to one hundred and fifty or fifty to three hundred and go 300 to 800 and 800 to 2000. You can do those. But it's it, this is not a one-step process.
0: Yeah, I know. I personally find it a bit annoying when uh, you know, I, I want to go buy some random card like for my real deck that I I'm, I'm brewing, uh, which is a new commander from Akoria that has like discard synergies. And you know, I look on MTG stocks and I see that brand some, you know, Urza's block, I think, uh, card that, you know, yep. that has cycling and each player gains control of or you gain control of all permits you own that uh, so it's just like to to regain control of things that have been stolen. I know that is like that went from two dollars to thirty dollars, and it's like, well, do I really want to spend thirty dollars on such a you know, kind of a niche card and for real? Not really. And it, well, it's just kind of annoying when that card is getting is getting bought out by someone who just wants to 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 make a make a buck. But. Yeah,
1: it's it's like you're you're building whatever random deck. Casual decks for E H. are also just like, I, I'm building some F&M deck to go have fun and then there's just some cards that are inaccessible because they've spiked or been specked on or whatever by somebody who is just basically going all in on them and like, hey, well, I just, I guess I just don't get to play with this card <laughs> because it's just way too far above like what I'm willing to spend on a fun deck.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's anything necessarily like evil or wrong or, or wrong about it. I know, like it's it's very easy to uh, to paint the MTG finance community and everyone as, as kind of super villains twirling mustaches, but uh, it's it's more or less just an annoyance. And I think that that kind of annoyance can get uh, get to people and and kind yeah. of make them build resentment. But I think I think it's important to remember that everyone should keep a, a cool head about that sort of thing.
2: Also, and I mean, there's good news on that front too. No, go for it you want me or me you hold on i can't hear him yeah you. Right. said go, go for, for, it. for it okay um good news on that front is stores are like 10 times bitten 50 times shy on cards like brand so their buy price isn't gonna spike just because the card got bought out it's gonna go up a bit to try and lure some in but it's not gonna hold that number when somebody does a huge buyout or like in this case just a relevant buyout because i don't think there was that many copies anyway uh the card will come back from whoever's doing those buyouts probably pretty quickly for a much lower number than you'd think, and then the card will settle um so if the card was two dollars and goes to thirty the 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 buy price might go up to like six bucks or eight bucks or something, and then the card will come back at twelve and all of a sudden you'll be like, "Ah, eh, maybe I can do that
0: okay that's that's reassuring um okay, so you know we we talked about the m t g finance community a bit and let's let's move into uh the people responsible, because I know you have a a lot to say here, and this has been a big topic of discussion, especially with the announcement of uh, double masters. So let's let's talk about my vocal cords. let's let's talk about the uh, the big elephant in the room, which is uh, Watsy. So is is Wizards of the Coast going in a bad direction in terms of like money grubbing and and kind of trying to milk every last drop out of uh, out of their player base?
2: in a word yes in many words yes 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 <laughs> um, but but hasbro has like this, we know that this is because of hasbro getting involved once um, toys r us i think went bankrupt and hasbro started being like we need to offset or we're going to go bankrupt as a company we need to see some margins that can uh, salvage and they went with a strategy to uh to patch some wounds and they've liked it and they've kept with it i don't know if they're still trying to patch the same wounds or if they're just like hey uh, you know we'll just keep riding this train as long as it goes now uh but the way that they have been doing things lately is um you know quarterlies at the sake of long term mm. they've been doing that for a few years now i think everyone basically has seen it at that point yeah uh, I'm,
0: I'm worried i'm worried that it's gonna cause you know player fatigue uh, one, one it certainly is. One of the things 100%. that, like, we're we're seeing so many more premium sets, and and honestly, just a lot of product in general. Um, yeah, I think okay. the secret layers have been, you know, the thing that overlaps, you know, very specifically where there, there's secret layers seemingly coming out, you know, every week, every two weeks, something like that, and these are clearly targeted at, uh, you know, for for. Whether or not it be a whale, like the for the, lack of a better the, term, really, yeah, yeah the, the whale consumer, yeah, yeah. the person who's whale to, is enough. <laughs> um, I mean, and it's or, or just you know trying to trying to convince or, or convert people to buy uh, some of these premium sets. So, yeah, and I mean they've really. What, what do you think about the premium sets?
2: So I'm gonna back up to because uh, it, it falls under the same category. It started with expeditions mm. to me. Um, and people were like, "This looks so cool. This is, you know, the greatest thing ever. Anybody can can win the lottery." I will tell you a true story from the battle for Zendikar block, and this is what I think of them, and it's what I've always thought of them. Expeditions come out at such a high point because they're so rare um, that the the value of a box can only be X, and X is an- lower than the cost of the box for a player to buy because otherwise you would just buy boxes if boxes were always profitable you'd buy boxes Mm -hmm. so the it has to come down lower so that there's a reason to do one or the other that's just how it works for sure so when expeditions hit the numbers that they hit they eat the value of the box so any box that doesn't have an expedition has like an outrageously low point so i've had customers specifically one that I can think of who came in, he bought a box of oath of the gate watch. He got three foil rares in his box. No expedition. Uh, one of the foil rares was a reality smasher. It was looking like a good box. We priced out the box. It was worth $15. Oh my God. <laughs> he, quit. He, 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 sold me the cards and he quit magic. Wow. Like that's what happens sometimes. Yeah. You, you have these lotteries. We had the first pre-release we did for oath or no for battle. Um, uh, like a 13-year-old kid opened an Expedition Misty Rainforest and he got paid $200 on the spot for it and people were like celebrating him. So there's definitely both sides to this. But the the kid isn't deciding whether he's playing Magic or not based on winning the lottery, but more people will decide not to play Magic based on losing. So mm. um, People will buy packs to try and win, so you'll sell more, but you'll lose players by losing. And, you know, when you start... Putting all of this emphasis on the top end stuff, your your drop off is so substantial. Like just if you think about, um, you know, before Kalidas spiked like a year ago or something, that set oath was, I think the best card in that set was still kalidas at like twelve dollars, and uh, Thought Not Sierra at like ten, and there was um, what caused like the Great Distortion was still in the single digits. That was the entire set for multiple multiple years like you just couldn't do anything with these cards and then you go into the like the secret layers fine you know you want to do something flavorful and and cool and that but you're you're it's the the way that they're doing things like secret layers with amazon and um cornering markets and stuff they said emphatically so often that they're not ever going to deal in the secondary market that's the thing they stay out of you know Secondary market, bad. We good. Well, right, so Master sets. We looked at the secondary market. We found the cards that were too expensive. We put them in here. Here, buy our product because these cards are expensive based on the secondary market. Yeah. Secret layers. These cards are special. Here's some fetch lands. Why would they know that the fetch lands are that big of a deal if they're not checking the secondary market? Well, clearly, these cards are great. They should know this stuff. Fine. Whatever. But like, they're just baiting people into these like obnoxious aesthetics. Just to try and uh, make like make a buck, but so yeah, they're trying to do it in all all the wrong ways.
1: So they're trying to basically so okay, just to give context because I think a lot of the frustration of um, wizards doing things like selling secret layers and stuff comes to the fact that. Um, For any of those listening who don't know, um, and this is a pretty huge thing that, a pretty huge restriction that Wizards operates under, um, effectively in any jurisdiction, Wizards can't legally acknowledge the existence of the secondary market um, just because Magic is basically gambling if if they acknowledge that the cards have absolute value. Um, And then you can't sell to kids anymore and the game takes a large hit, right? This is just like an established fact, yeah. Right, just just yeah. to just to set that in stone, right? But They've, they but there, think, there's been some funny tweets from uh, I think Mark Rosewater yeah, yeah. or something but, where. So so this is sort of where uh, I'm getting to is I think a lot of the frustration comes to the fact that they're not allowed to officially recognize the existence of the secondary market, but they also do very sketchy things like skirting around and selling secret layer products, which is effectively them trying to get as close to selling singles directly as possible to make a quick buck. Right. But doing it yeah, in a the, way where. Ro- yeah.
0: The Mark Rosewater tweet, basically someone said, um, basically asked why, why did these things were so expensive? And he just straight up said, I can't answer that question. Yeah.
2: Uh, it's, I mean, it's, he can't legally, he should have yeah, said yes. legally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He can't uh, legally say but, legally, but, um, <laughs> That being actually that, uh, but I mean th- that makes sense. From from a guy like Rosewater, like his hands are, I'm gonna say mostly tied. I I don't have information for sure on this, but I'm pretty confident that the top people at Wizards, they are only doing what they're told. Um, it is definitely like the avenues they're specifically choosing. Maybe they're theirs, but they were having to do something like this anyway. This is something that I do not believe would have happened if Hasbro hadn't bought.
1: Sure. Mm. But I'm also saying like, I think like a lot of the, a lot of the frustration and it's, and it's warranted frustration, but like a lot of the frustration with this stuff just comes from the fact that there's like a lot of uh, inconsistent communication on that point. Right. About like, Hey, what are your plans to deal with the secondary market? And the official communication is, I don't know what that is. We don't have any plans regarding that. (laughs)
2: <laughs> do, do you yeah. want to save the secondary market i can tell you exactly how you can bring cards down without yeah um, it's not that hard it's just actually long. that
1: being said though um i sort of wanted to hop back to uh premium cards in sets um referring to uh stuff like expeditions invocations uh box toppers as well um that kind of thing um just for a quick second because uh i want to ask do you think so um obviously the ins- the the reason why Wizards is doing so much experimenting with premium uh, cards in boxes and stuff like that and uh, things of really high value is, yes, for the wow factor of, oh, hey, I opened an expedition. This is so cool. that gets people in. But also for the, the idea, I believe, that... Correct me if I'm wrong. The idea that if you have premium cards like that in a product to shore up some of the value of the product, then that means that you can bring the effectively bring the staples in that product down to a more reasonable level for the average consumer do you think that them uh doing stuff with like box toppers expeditions that stuff has it been successful in that sense or do you think that it really still needs um some reworking and it's not the way to go
2: so there is a hitch in that um it doesn't apply to some stores like uh, the ones that open cases and cases like face to face, but think of all of the uh, the the middling stores. Um, so let's say you're in a store in an area where uh, you, you're not definitely not opening a bunch of cases so that you average out. Um, you're not like let let's go back to those the staples I was talking about: yep. elitist thought, not here reality, smasher that type of stuff. Yeah, totally. So those cards come out at like three to six, eight, ten dollars at the most. Those cards are insane. Who is trading those cards in at those numbers? Stores don't get those cards for a long time unless they open tons of product because those cards are just so much more powerful than they are valuable. You yeah, you're right. They're cheap and accessible, except they're not accessible because nobody can get them. The, the players keep them or they trade a bit amongst themselves fine. Those are exactly the types of cards that you just don't see stores acquire.
1: Right. Mm. And it it ends up it ends up damaging brick and mortar uh, more than online, considering you do have that supply online, and, right?
2: And and who does it help? The biggest stores and the people selling the products still the two people who need it the least. Yep.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I I totally agree on those points. By the way, I just wanted to bring that topic up because I think that's sure. Some, yeah. It's, it's it's. I mean, it's yeah.
2: fine. It 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 brings more information to people that don't know it, but there are ways to make customers happy and stores happy without being one of those top one percenter type yeah so that's actually i'm somebody who was not a top one percenter i'm not necessarily now but i'm certainly like not complaining now so i can see from both angles because i've dealt from both angles and i can tell you as somebody who has the go wides and not getting punished on this stuff i'm still upset because i know what it was like beforehand, and just because I got through that doesn't mean that I'm like looking down on all the other stores laughing hysterically that they're still suffering. I would rather those stores that have a smaller collection can't open product. I don't wanna see those people and their customer bases have to go to the big stores to get these cards and then start thinking, well, my store sucks. I'm just gonna buy online. And then those stores end up getting no business.
1: So there's actually sort of something that touched on there that I wanted to ask as well. is yeah. So, do you think that there's like a happy medium here, and like, like what what potentially would that happy uh, medium for be? Which point? Um, the medium between uh, satisfying for, for satisfying consumers and players who obviously don't want to spend that much money on their decks or want to spend as little money as possible, <laughs> as well as supporting local game stores. Like, is is there a way that we can do both here?
2: There definitely is. Uh, I'm not sure it's a one step play. Sure. Uh, I can talk about the step to make cards cheaper. Uh, once it happens, there's going to be more steps that I haven't really factored in yet. I'm not sure about but I I know how to make cards cheaper. Yeah,
1: sure. Just like in, in your opinion, because I, I just uh, find it interesting to see okay. different people's opinions on like so, how they might go about facing uh, this issue. Right. Because obviously this is like a very core issue to magic right now.
2: A perfect example of how they can do it properly. There's two actually uh, from the same set, Scapeshift and Omniscience from the what core 19. Um, yeah. What you do is you take a standard set, um, like all your brand new sets as you go, you take a few top cards. I'm going to say three because that was what I've uh, come to over thinking about this for a while. You take three mythic slots and you put three big cards in on, as like purple rares or something. They're not... Mythics, they're at the same rate as Mythics, but if you put like, let's say the, the next set that's coming out, I don't even know, or even a Cory or something, so there's no Godzilla cards, none of that goofy stuff, just a regular set, but three of your Mythic slots are for like um, Snapcaster Mage, some big EDH card, Trax or something that was in Double Masters or something, and uh, Liliana the Veil. Vale. So that set has those three cards in it at Mythic. Now, your standard cards so that people have access to the new stuff can be cheaper because you have cards in the set that are consistent that aren't at super secret rare or whatever that are still worth money. They're gonna be on you know, a $30 to $50 card still because they're coming out but they're still big cards. So now your box prices is offset by these big cards but they're at a ratio that people can get consistently. Uh, your standard mm-hmm. cards are cheaper. You've dropped three cards but the important thing is you've only brought a few cards back. So you're not scaring the market into overcompensating by spiking a bunch of stuff, which is what happens with the Master Sets. So if you've only brought a couple cards back here and they're spread out over different decks and formats and whatever, you can keep doing that going forward and you can plummet, a, like, whack-a-mole a few of the big cards, but not, like, have another thing pop up, which is what Master Sets is. is just a game of whack-a-mole right now. Okay. And if you, if you keep your standard sets where the big cards are not the standard cards, standard is cheap and accessible, and that's what everyone wants. Everyone wants the one format that everyone desperately wants to be cheap is standard. Yeah. So now all the cards in the set can, don't have to be busted, bannable, oko, whatever cards. They can be reasonable cards that people play major tournaments with, but those cards are being opened. They're, they're not $0 because the expeditions are $250, $300. They can still be 12 18 dollars for some of these top cards so they can still get moved around a bit but they're not scare you out of the format numbers and you have access to some big cards that's great if you actually want the cards that's great if not you can trade them in get some more stuff build your standard deck you could just open a box get you know a lily and a uh an atraxa trade them in and with the cards you open and finish a standard deck you you've done it that way you did the gamble you wanted that's great and if you keep doing that but in small processes You know stores don't get punished so hard at once that they have to that cards have to spike to to eat it up you can just take a take a small loss on a card relax move on and if you keep doing that over time cards will go down nothing will compensate except normal spikes because a card sees more play whatever that you can't stop those that's fine and then you just keep doing that and the process will bring cards down keep standard down and you won't have the backlash and you get to sell a lot of standard product that you might not have sold to uh, eternal format players if they just want to, you know, maybe crack a lily or something in the standard pack and you draft. Drafts are just, like, the best thing to do now because you can have your normal fun draft, and if you open a great card, you open a great card. And it doesn't have to be one in three boxes to do it.
1: So, yeah, so, like, basically, I I super agree with this, by the way. Um, I think this is, like, a would be a great step forward to um, sort of marrying uh increased supply for eternal format cards while also making standard more affordable um but yeah so it's basically just like the idea of like taking expeditions and making it more reasonable like narrowing the scope of the expeditions so you don't have to like you break them into three. yeah like you you don't have to you don't have to bring an entire like 20 expeditions for a single set and make them super rare to get each of them you bring it more in line so it's a lot easier to open the expeditions uh, but there are also fewer of them, so you don't have to have chaff. Like you don't have to put like, I don't, like uh, disrupt or like choke <laughs> in an expedition <laughs> slot, right? Like yeah. you, you you can yeah. you can
2: and and you never of of all the companies and the games you don't want to copy Yu-Gi-Oh secret rares is the last thing you
4: want to yeah. do. <laughs> oh no, no! I, <laughs> like, I totally agree. From, from
1: the perspective of somebody who played Yu-Gi-Oh competitively for a long time, I super agree. Um, like all, all the random
2: like, I almost bought into Tour Guide by the way I, at 60 bucks I almost bought into Tour Guide when I was working at a different store I, I, I knew I was like almost 10 years removed from being involved in Yu-Gi-Oh but I just knew and if I had a better financial footing then I would have done it But, but, like, <laughs> but yeah, just, like just the, imagine all the people that have to all spend those... you know, hundreds of dollars on secret rares to get them reprinted in a tin 6 months later or something and everyone else is like oh hey, you should have waited like, yeah, who,
1: why well, and fall especially, especially the, and, and the huge he, thing.
2: Wizards is like, oh, let's do it. The too.
1: huge thing with Yu Gi Oh, right, is that it was, it was. We're, we're getting off a tangent here. We'll get back in a second. The huge thing with Yu Gi Oh, and yeah, I would yeah. hate to see this happen with Magic as well, is that a lot of the time it was the really good core cards to decks being printed for the first time at secret rare or at a super high rarity, right? Which was like yeah. hugely Tour detrimental perfect, because you have like yeah. all these people buying into these very expensive cards, and then you have to reprint them at some point, and it would just tank, ev- like everybody holding on to them.
2: I just want to make the point to people listening that just because I know what Tour Guide is doesn't mean I like or support that game at all. You know, so <laughs> oh yeah, no, I,
1: I left the game for a reason. I, Lyndon left the game for a reason. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Um, I never played. I just bought and sold for like a year way back from, like, L O B to Pharaoh Servant, and then I heard about Tour Guide, and that was it.
0: So, to get us back on track, uh, John, I know I know you, you had some things to say about Double Masters. We, we've touched on Master Sets, um, I think, pretty extensively, but I just want to yeah, talk about, I want you to hear, hear your opinion on Double Masters, especially considering that, you know, Watsy said that they would not be doing Master Sets again.
2: Yeah. It's basically what I said with the the Talerian community guy, and how... Um, like his thought process on it is detrimental. That's basically what I was gonna cover with Double Masters anyway. It's if you overload a set so badly, and this is something I was talking to, uh, to a friend of yours about uh, yesterday, um, I w- you, you print Mana Crypt in Mystery Booster, you print, print Mana Crypt in Double Masters, uh, here's a free, uh, free tip for everyone. I think Mana Vault is gonna be over $100 soon to compensate.
3: Yeah, that doesn't um, surprise me at all. You're, yeah. you're
2: just asking for that because those two cards are, like, synonymous. And if you bring Mana Crypt from, like, obviously Mana Crypt shouldn't have been, like, $250 or whatever. That's fine. I understand that. But if you hit it so hard, uh, you're, you're just asking for his buddies to, to join him in, uh, in the three-digit range. And, yeah, if Mana Vault's not in this set, which if Mana Vault's also in this set, then, I'm like, sure, you're just double... Double, triple masters of uh, awesome confetti, great, super awesome, <laughs> best show. Uh, like mana vault is going to be the next one, and then if you hit mana vault later, you know there's going to be some big other mana rock or, or you know fast mana garbage that's going to eat it up. But like you just you don't play whack a mole when you can just like slowly push everything down all at once. But if you like so- to hit with a hammer, which w- Watsy loves to hit things with hammers, you're just going to get something else. And, uh, that, that I, you know, we've seen five cards at this point, and I can tell you right now it's going to cause probably eight other spikes. And I think Mana Vault is the biggest card that's going to spike, that I know of for sure right now. I, actually, I have a second one as well. Um, I think Atraxa coming back again is going to make Contagion Engine come back up.
1: Mm
0: interesting oh uh, no free
2: spec advice <laughs> no. i mean i don't that like, being said just I'm, I'm not the guy i'm not Rudy here i'm not the guy that's gonna just like you know lead people astray here i don't need to make every spec work for me uh, that's fine these ones are like you can come and ask me at the store any people who know me and have asked me questions at the store i'll, I'll tell you straight up what i think is going to happen and i'm you know i'm right enough at the time that people trust my opinion when they ask me that stuff um, I'm not going to say Contagion Engine is going to be $60 or something, but it's certainly at a very, very low point right now, and that's a that's a safer investment.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, so, Wizards has been uh, what 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 a lot of people call is whale chasing. So, the the business model of a lot of uh, like mobile games, um, and you see this in things like Hearthstone as well, is that the company really targets uh, these quote unquote whales who Basically spend like, yeah, the, a ton of money the top, like, on, on of the
2: product. Yeah. Yeah, and I call those people Linden. <laughs> 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 you, you need some duels off here, right, uh, right? Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I, I, yeah, I couldn't really understand because you were talking like a you know whale speak and I don't really understand <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, yeah so I'm, I'm not really the whale that Watsy is targeting because no. I' mainly yeah. buy singles I don't really buy a sealed product,
2: <laughs> but you're my whale
0: yeah the <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm the uh, the person who the the LGS LGS <laughs> whale but uh, so so Watsy printing all these these uh, these cards that are that are targeted at whales to just you know, Get a ton of money from them. Is that is that you know going to be scaring away players? Do you think, or is this kind of like a a no harm no foul kind of thing? The whole uh, the whole meme of this product isn't for you is is really popular right now. Is that is that an acceptable excuse or?
2: If you uh, look at what whales have been uh, treated like in the past, uh, a example of that would be like in poker. It was mentioned in rounders and stuff like that. Whales. Whales always believe that if it doesn't work out for them, it's usually bad luck. Um, They don't get scared off. You you can basically not scare a whale. Uh, Wizards is just going to get to a point where their only business is whales, and that might not be sustainable. Mm. But who you're pissing off right now with sets like Double Masters is everyone who already hates pack prices going up not people who not bought, you know, master sets in the past. People who, um, like, their target audience is going to be like, herp de derp, I don't care, give me the box. What is it, $400? Whatever, give me the box. Uh, I don't think you're going to lose those people. They're, like, the reason they're doing what they're doing on repeat is because it's still successful. And it's not going to be not successful just because it's awful for everyone else.
4: Yeah. They're,
2: they're not you know their goal isn't to keep the 95 percent people who don't want to do this happy they hope to do enough other stuff like cool shiny cards secret layers commander decks uh you know all all the other stuff is to try and appease those people this is yeah it's whale chasing but it's successful it's not going to kill that market you just could also Get the whales and everyone else on the same plan and make tons of sales if you did things you know, other ways. But yeah. this way is, is successful, and we can't stop it from being successful. You can't just go around and tell all the big pe- people to not do this. They don't listen. I tried to tell people Mystery Booster was um, not what you think it is. Uh, and everyone told me I was wrong and that it was going to be super profitable. And then every single person who's come back to me with Mystery Booster stuff talking, bragging about how much money they opened they would try to hand me the cards, and I'd hand them back. And they'd be like, what's going on? And I'm like, these cards haven't finished dropping yet. I'm not taking these at any reasonable rate. I'll wait. And they're, like, very confused. And I was like, these cards, like, right now, or at least when they were handing me cards, the the value of the cards was higher than a box, which is not how it works. So you have to wait until they settle lower than the box. And when they settle lower than the box, everyone's taking a loss. So everyone Mm -hmm. was buying mystery boosters, and I couldn't understand why people thought that this was going to be a home run. If they want to draft it or they want to have fun or they're hoping to get a bunch of cards, that's the uh, the plan B excuse. That's fine. You can do things to have fun. You can do things any way you want for that. But that's never the point they come in with. They come in with, look, I knew this was a good investment. Look how much money I made. And I tell them they're wrong. And I explain why. And they're like, well, I had fun every time. I was like, well, you would have come in with that if you meant it first. You thought it was a financial strategy. I told you it wasn't. You didn't listen to me. I'm not taking your Marrow Nars and your foil helix pinnacles because they're like gonna be 50 cents. I don't want this stuff I'm not taking a loss on it just because it you know You want to be right about how much money you think these cards are worth. I Pick and choose my battle sometimes mystery booster is a hill I'm dying on. I'm not taking a lot of those cards uh, Nor should other stores take especially the foils because the foils are a weird print, but these cards did not financially make sense Mana Crypt was a huge card that offset a bunch of money and everything else, you know, Expropriate and Risk Study and a bunch of big cards that were all, like it just didn't, the math didn't work. So it was mm. a trap, I told people it was a trap. I told my store to be hesitant on it and that was wrong because everyone bought it and I looked like an idiot, but I looked like an idiot because I knew how the finances would work. I didn't know how the customers would react. I made a mistake reading customers. I looked bad for it, but like they're the ones not being able to sell their ex- "quote unquote" expensive cards right now. So mm-hmm.
0: fair enough. So we we've talked about you know some kind of just general trends with uh, MTG Finance and Watsi making a bunch of crazy sets, whale chasing all that. Let's let's get into what our, our podcast is mostly about, and that's going to be like EDH slash Cedh spikes because um, there's been a lot of this this recently, especially since the uh, the quarantine. Now. I've got a couple points uh, I want to talk about. So first is, is EDH a good format um, to spec on? Like, is is it, are are EDH cards reliably going up in in price? Um, I know standard decks, modern, all these things, you can kind of see, oh, this new card is printed. uh, So clearly this card is going to go up in price. Or, you know, Mishra's Bauble is a good example where that card was... Uh, has been like forty dollars in the past, and then it tanked down to three after reprinting and iconic masters. And then you know that's probably a good card to spec on because you know it pr- another card is now. going to get printed that eventually breaks Mistress Bobble. You know we've seen it in the past with other uh, with other free draw effects and free spells. So there's there's that kind of reliability of specking on um, you know the const- those sixty card formats. But what about what about EDH?
2: It depends on what you mean by spec and not to get cryptic on you here. um, If you're talking about competitive investments, you're seeing a card spoiled like I was talking about with Devoted Druid and then buying it. That's Mm -hmm. just like two weeks before it's going up or less buyout. I don't think that's a spec. A spec would be thinking something is a reasonable buy before there's a reason to specifically and waiting on it. EDH is the only format I would spec on. Uh, Doing buyouts or, like, small buyouts, picking up a few copies of a card because you've seen a spoiler, is something you can do with constructed formats, like 60-card formats. But I don't really think that's the same thing. That's just like, oh, this card goes with this card. I buy this card. You can do that, and you can do that for tons and tons of money. But that's, like, immediacy. And that's not, like... That's not the same thing to me. Is EDH a good format to spec on? EDH is the only format to spec on.
0: Ha take. Mm.
2: Yeah. Shots fired. <laughs> pew
0: pew. So well, what kind of what kind of cards in EDH specifically? Like what kind of cards do you look for in uh for specs? So just so our listeners might know, like
2: That's hard.
0: Yeah, well what not not necessarily so that they can spec themselves, but so that they know that these are the but, kinds of cards that could be the targets of buyout so that, you know, if they don't have a copy yet, they can go, you know, pick up a copy or something.
2: Well, I mean, Contagion Engine was one, but... <laughs> but what, the, what kind of characteristics
0: is, make the Contagion Engine a good card to, like, to look at?
2: Well, attractive coming back was a pretty good characteristic. It says it right on the card, <laughs> buy this when It comes back. Um, I. That's just not like how I necessarily think. I'm trying to think of what I did. So big commander investments that I did. BattleBond came out. Um, BattleBond had a very limited print run and people were not into it. And I could tell that very quickly. People just like didn't care about BattleBond. Uh, so I looked around, I'm like, well, this is the time where cards from BattleBond are gonna be the cheapest while they're in print. Uh, is there something I should look for here? And I read uh, Bramble Sovereign and i read bramble sovereign a second time and then i bought two gps and a star city games and bramble sovereigns uh and i have like you know 70 copies or something buying at a gp of a card isn't that big of a deal there's not that many copies of any particular card unless it's like a fetch land or something or a duel at a gp those cards some stores just don't bring that much or you know nobody brings that many copies of a card because they don't want you know, a big buyout or they just don't have that many copies bramble sovereign's on a card that people would have brought that many copies of anyway um it had flavor to me it had token relevance it just had it it was green all things that look edh to me and i bought it and it worked out but like half of that was gut feeling not something i can really you know well battle is
0: probably a really good example because you, you can look at, I know, I know you've shown me your stack of uh, BattleBond lands.
2: Yeah, I, w- I was going to get to that next.
0: <laughs> so yeah.
2: I did, I bought, this one I, I was more aggressive on. I bought probably six GPs out of all the duels. There was even a Chinese vendor at one. I didn't care about language on that one. I bought all the Chinese copies too. Didn't matter. I just wanted every single one of those cards out of the, those stores, and then one store said, "Are you coming to the GP in you know three weeks? I'll bring you more." I said yes, and then they brought me more, and I took more, and I ended up with twelve hundred Battle Bond lands total. Uh, and that's clearly I'm, I'm not sure the exact those, those cards are still oh, yeah. going up. Easy slam dunk, like, but that was like, I didn't feel bad at all buying those because I was buying them from stores. Looking at the stores, being like, why are you selling me these cards? Mm, This is, you're you're making a mistake here, and it's, I'm not going to say you're going to get punished for it, because like, maybe they don't go up as much if they have them and stuff, but like, what you're doing is gifting me definitely free money, and that's your choice. I don't think that those cards were going to stay at that price, regardless of what I did. Uh, It's just good that I have them. Uh, I don't feel bad about that one. Uh, those cards should be significantly more money because cards like real duels and stuff are just out of people's price ranges. And that's fine. I don't think a bunch of Commander players should be buying real duels, and I, don't, I certainly don't think they should be like, accosted for not having them. If you have cards like this consistently, if your mana base is $20 cards, $15 cards, $10 cards, across the board, I don't think you've done anything wrong as a Commander player. Yeah, you're not going to win CDH tournaments or something, but in general, my commander market is not competitive. It's just human beings, and you guys are mutants. <laughs> always remember that. <laughs> uh, but Battlebond lands are exactly what uh, appeals to me as a, an EDH spec, but it's just obvious. So I don't really know what to tell people to look uh, for in a card. You should look for something that screams obvious to you. Selvala The Monogreen Silvala from Conspiracy 2 was a slam dunk. I bought a bunch of that card. That one is probably partly my fault. Uh, I don't feel bad with that one because it's that (laughs) card. There's so much obviousness to a lot of these buys. I Uh, I really don't know how to pinpoint exactly what makes me think a card is a good spec or not. It's just sometimes... uh, I've got some rules of thumb that
0: I look at. So... Sure. one is uh, and one i'm just gonna spe- uh, state i don't really spec cards but i do try and pick up cards when they're their cheapest and i'll buy like you know one copy so that i have it and i'm not spending a bunch so trying just trying to save money where i can so one thing i look at is um the the set is it a popular set um so battle bond not really super popular um but because it was made for multiplayer uh you're getting a bunch of cards that are very good in edh that are just not likely to get reprinted in any set right when are they going to ever reprint battle bond lands is, is what you need to say okay is it going to be in a standard set no is it going to be in a commander product maybe probably not um, so there's not really that many great opportunities to reprint these battle bond lands and they're very strong cards and very good do you want to run this card in decks that you have or decks that you're in your that you're brewing with if that is yes for a bunch of different decks then that's probably a good card to look at or, or pick up um, cards that scale well so John talked about bramble sovereign sovereign that uh, that has a, a it scales really well it's good in lots of different strategies uh, and again in a low print run set that when are they ever going to reprint that kind of card so that's kind of what I look at um,
2: yeah and, Can and I add a point to that sure go ahead um, if it does get reprinted are you screwed? I think if Battlebond lands get reprinted, you're not necessarily screwed. You might get, like, when I bought them, they were uh, 4 to $5 US, and if they get reprinted at some point in a commander deck or something, I don't think they're going to drop to even back to that point, let alone below it.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I, I think what, what a good rule for, for like the average player who maybe wants to have uh, multiple copies of cards for their own decks is don't something like a bramble sovereign how many decks as a player are you going to have bramble sovereign in um, if it's not if it's not uh you know like all of them then maybe don't pick up you know six copies cuz that's that's clearly just a speck and you can easily get uh, get punished if they do reprint it for some reason or that but that's not know, fun yeah <laughs> but battlebond lands on the other hand something that's just as john was saying a slam dunk you can put those in every single one of your decks and not feel bad about it at all.
2: Yeah, you're so, definitely right about yeah. those points
0: for sure. Um, and then one one other thing I do uh, as well is I like to brew ultra budget decks. So I, I've done like uh, $50 ultra budget Nissan, where I'm trying to make it as competitive as possible. And you know, looking looking back at some of those cards, uh, they've spiked so. It, if you're looking, if you're dredging through the, trying to make the best deck you can on the tightest budget possible, what you're going to do is you're going to identify cards that are very powerful and very cheap. Um, so you're, you've got a really high, uh, you know, power to cost, a monetary cost ratio. So those are, are cards that are that are also worth looking at. So I remember Jeweled Amulet used to be a very uh, good, you know, budget ramp card in that deck. And then it got, uh, it, it spiked. Um Gaia's Touch, really unique effect that uh, allows you to play an additional Forest land on your turn and sacrifices to make mana. I was running that in my Yuca deck, and that spiked. Wait, and that spiked. a bunch of other things okay, like that. Yeah, good talk.
2: <laughs> I got. Right, you go first. No, continue. Uh, that, that's that's
0: all I have to say on uh, on okay. that.
2: I got points to add, but I'll, I'll wait here a sec since you haven't been able to talk for a while.
0: Yeah, I remember when you talked about jeweled
3: amulet. And I just remember making fun of you, but clearly I was, <laughs> like, I was like, what's this random card you're showing me right now? Yeah. All
2: right, I got two quick things to add there just for spec advice. Uh, one don't spec on standard uh, for commander. Don't do it. The print runs too high. Power level does not matter. Cards are just too common to be as expensive as you think they are. You and it's just, it's so volatile, right? Yes, there have been exactly a few exceptions. But, like, you don't play to the exceptions. The amount of people that brag to me about Walking Ballista buyouts, I was like, man, if you're doing Walking Ballista buyout, you're doing something that's going to happen one out of every ten times, and you're going to throw every cent of that away the next time you spec on a standard card. It just doesn't work often enough. Um, Mm. Like, look for cards that go with those cards that are older. That's fine. The second thing is uh, foils. uh, For specifically cards that are getting reprinted in commander decks, because commander deck reprints are never foil, So if you see a card uh, that comes back like six times, um, obviously it can't go that high. It's getting tons of printings, but the original foils, if it's a card like a Deadeye Navigator or something, but that's a bad uh, example because it had a master's printing, but that was coming back in commander sets and stuff for a bit, I think, Um, Hmm. those cards, if you want an investment point, get one or two original foils of a card that is seeing repeated printings at, normal only uh
0: yeah so one one thing i would like to uh just chime in with as well is if you if you think a card is good um so so yeah actually quickly before i do that yeah so on on the standard sets uh wait until a set is out of standard before you pick up some like if you want to if you want to pick up a bunch of stuff for your your decks. I mean sometimes you know the new shiny thing from the new set is great to go and buy. But you know if you want to buy a uh, you know a, a what's what's a maybe, maybe companions or something or an uro. Let's say you want to buy a bunch of uros for your you know decks that have simic for EDH don't buy them all while uro is still in standard and seeing play in you know every format yeah. um, also give time for new sets to uh, to settle yeah. because a lot of times cards will get banned you know if you're if you're running out into you're like i'm going to make 10 different luris decks and i want to have luris in every that's... one of my decks you know maybe wait until it uh, a card that is so obviously broken as luris gets uh, banned in a bunch of other formats before uh, before Dude, that's, it up. that's... The,
2: the best time to buy a standard card like uro is a month before rotation until like three months after rotation when it's still in everyone's trade yeah. binders and they haven't all shipped them to stores yet it takes a while for cards to get out of rotation of people's collections even though it gets out of rotation of standard and when they're in binders and accessible everywhere that's the best time to
1: can i just say though <laughs> the idea of not buying into standard cards because they might get banned is such a like that's such a from two years ago problem to current like any any time before yeah. the past two years that would
2: just be like wh- are you crazy what cards getting banned in standard does anyone remember when we were like we were losing our mind when like intangible virtue got banned in block and we're just like how could you do something so stupid that you'd get a card banned in Dude. block you guys are there morons. Are, this will never happen there, again. And that, Now it's just like, which cards are legal in this format? What's the stat
1: again? It's more cards have been banned in standard in the last two years than have been banned in standard in the last 20 years. <laughs> Put together. That's wow. just, yeah. Yeah,
2: ever. Yeah. Like, Exelon, yeah, um, and newer has, like, yeah, a bigger ban list than, you know, prior to Exelon for standard.
0: That's insane
2: but i mean uh, that's that's just bad testing
0: yeah, one, it's one just thing, the company
2: doing the wrong things
0: The last thing I want to touch on um, regarding EDh uh, spikes is how the, the effect that content creators have on influencing card prices, and in the EDh community, this is uh, really prevalent uh, among the command zone so uh, if oh I think it was a few years ago or maybe maybe two two years ago or something when uh, Josh Lee Kwai deployed his uh, uh, a Shadowborn Apostles deck, and Shadowborn Apostles just skyrocketed in price. Recently, there have been things like Reap um, that have, you know, exploded in price from just appearance on the command zone. So, cards that are, that you recognize are good, and this is, you'll, you'll often see this with the CDH community, where the CDH community tends to have explored, like, every single card, and you know, knows knows what cards are very powerful, um, but those cards might not be widely adopted by the greater EDH community because of just you know lack of knowledge, because some of these cards are very old, um, or that just hasn't that tech just hasn't you know permeated yet. But uh, yeah, if you if you identify a card as good and it's just unknown, that card is is liable to spike as soon as a uh, content creator features it. Uh, in a,
1: on a prominent, well, and uh, I, prominent YouTube channel. To different channel. degrees depending on current supply, right, as well?
2: Oh, yeah. certainly. Obviously, yeah. if you, if you like, find, I, I, like, Every conversation we're having can go Yeah, yeah. Different but, different like, obviously styles. there's
1: exceptions here. If it's, like, you found some new way to break, like, a standard legal card in a new way. Like, oh, there's, like, this bulk common from this standard set that nobody's using, but, oh, I found a way to, like, make it really good with whatever commander that's yeah guys yeah. i found the well, first way to, to break yeah. Oracle. <laughs> <laughs> so
4: like, even even,
2: yeah. if, even if you I, do it I, I know you guys didn't think this card was any
1: even good if you but, do it like yeah. a month down the line don't expect a large spike like the the prices of cards in standard tend to be like they're like pretty locked into to whatever the price of the box is and there has to be like adjustments made so But, especially if you find, like, definitely if you find a new use for an old card, be wary that, like, somebody might just happen to be like, Oh, yeah, I feel like buying these cards out. This seems fine. Yeah, this was more in regards
0: to EDH, and and I think Reap was a really good example where... uh... Yeah, where he was featured on the command zone and that card shot up in value when, when that card has been a budget staple for a long time. Once again that was in my budget Yesen deck. That card is that, that deck has been a uh, a gold mine of, of cards I should have spec'd on. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, you re-put yourself. Yeah.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
2: Cut that. Cut that from the <laughs> uh, show.
0: guy. We can't um, let that stand. The
2: only, the only ad I can make because I don't know the command zone stuff that well. I don't follow any of that stuff, but I have seen some, you know, saffron olive spikes. Mm-hmm. And people should not listen to saffron olive. That guy. No. He wants the reserve list abolished. Let's everyone just hate that guy, please he's a uh, bad person but I mean it's a good it's,
0: if you see something on a Saffron Olive video and you're like oh that's an interesting deck uh, you know oh I'm using that card in my EDH deck for, for whatever or I'm going to in one of my brews maybe maybe pick that up before it, uh, it shoots up in price from people speculating on content creators because that definitely does happen and then also just the natural demand that that drives
2: if you have a need to get yelled at come to uh, my store and uh, tell me that you're building a Saffron Olive <laughs> <deck>. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's uh, Kingston Gaming Nexus, by the way. because yeah. nobody mentioned that yet.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, we should have, we should have uh, like mentioned that. that
2: but if you come there and ask me uh, for a Saffronol deck, you will get uh, a pretty strong yelling. Um, I don't like him because of the reserve list thing, but also um, he gets credit for a uh, modern deck. I kind of <laughs> <that. So> <laughs> always better to him. Okay, so I was playing so the long. one
0: one trend that that's been. Um, that's been going on recently, is that a bunch of EDH staples, not just CDH or... just EDH staples have been uh, going up uh, quite significantly. And this could be because you know EDH is now the most popular way that Magic is played. Uh, growing player base, growing interest, and you know people just have an increased demand for cards. Or, you know, one thing that I've kind of noticed is that people have been kind of tending towards a higher power level of deck construction. Uh, in like the lower power levels, mid power, casual, whatnot, things are are power creeping up in terms of uh, like arms races between groups. So cards that used to be uh, a lot cheaper because they were more niche are now getting adopted by a lot more people. So this is, has had an effect where the price for a solid uh, people say 75 percent, you know seven out of ten, mid power those kinds of decks are getting more and more expensive. So, almost to the point where they're uh, at the price of like your average modern deck. And I want to get your take on this, John, whether or not you think it's a good thing that the uh, that EDH to have like a playable deck is, is the barrier to entry is getting higher in terms of uh, monetary cost.
2: So, obviously, theoretically, it's not a good thing if you just look at it like uh, more expensive means harder to get the player base bigger and you want the player base bigger. But if it's cheaper and you get the player base bigger, then it becomes kind of a one-upsmanship type thing, and that's just how cards get more expensive. So you're in a catch-22 anyway. So the only other positive I can say from this is that it really makes people realize how detrimental the way things are going can be for this game if people let it get that way. And there's, you know, it's hard to stop, but it like it's not a good thing. But there are points that can be good out of it. I, I, Again, I don't want it to be that type of thing. I would love for a lot of these cards that are topping out near $100, Tainted Pact and Crater Hoof and all that stuff. I, I would be happy if they came down, even if I had the most copies of them. That would be fine with me. Um, I don't want this. I, I would love it for people's competitive one-upsmanship would be to swap a $30 card with a different $30 card. But that's just not the way it goes. Because mm. once you find the, the better $30 card, it becomes a $40 card. That's just how things work. So yeah, it's, not, it, it's just an unavoidable problem that the bigger the base gets, the more expensive the decks are going to get. Because you need to, to break through the, at the top if you're going to you know, be the guy that wins those things. You want to beat all the people at X, so you need to go up a level and if you're if the level becomes y then you need to go up a level again and you just got to keep going and going and going yeah. and that's just how things become more expensive so you're just stuck it's no. not like a good or a bad thing it's you're just stuck
0: if i was to play devil's advocate about the increasing um price of edh decks is that really you're you're still getting a very good bang for your buck uh in terms of EDH, uh, the the money you put in is gonna be is gonna last. Unlike we're seeing in uh, in modern right now with companions and Oko, and every new set, I mean even even Theros with Uro, uh, every new set seems to be shaking up modern, legacy, and all these eternal formats, which already have a very high price point per deck. Um, so EDH, like the the good 75% deck, is still uh, below that right now, but those decks are, are people are, are joking that modern is now a rotating format same with legacy where every new standard set is just busting it wide open and making your potential deck unplayable and one of the appeals to modern um and these eternal formats was that oh you know i can buy uh, such and such deck and then it's going to be playable forever or almost forever you know i just buy some new cards to update the list and and bring it up to par but you know one time, it, it's 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 KCI, and then it's Eldrazi, and then it's Tron, and then it's uh, you know Titan, and then things get banned, and it's you're you're constantly having to to change your deck up to keep up with the format, uh, and it's getting very expensive. So, EDH, even if it gets to be more expensive on par with uh with uh, modern decks, you're still you're still able to play these decks for a long time, and there is no real uh, CED, uh, there is no real meta for EDH or at least for casual players that you need to continually keep up with.
2: That happened first mainly with Modern Horizons. That's That yeah. screwed everything up in that format and everything's been a cascade of failure since then. Yeah. But uh, the, uh, the addition there, which is important, is um, yeah, cards are going up and people aren't happy about it, but your resale value also goes up. And when you look at the numbers on these decks and you see, you know, $1,500, $2,000 or something, and that, you know, disheartens you, I mean, you're, that's not a net loss you're taking by buying these cards. You're not locked into never getting your money back. You're going to lose a percentage, but you're always going to lose some percentage. Maybe if these cards keep climbing, you gain money. Like, you don't have to just be looking at this as uh, I'm throwing this money away. The problem with that, which is bringing full circle here, is you start doing those investments, and the wrong cards get reprinted in a double master's, and you're the guy that I was talking about who bought the wrong cards at the wrong time and got unlucky when the stores didn't get punished.
4: Yeah.
0: So let's let's talk about some of the causes of uh, of the spikes. So not not just we'll we'll talk about the recent spikes and, and I'll uh, I'll discuss what what people have been theorizing in terms of why um, there's a massive influx of spikes recently. But then also we can talk about why card spike in general. So relating to COVID and the quarantine, uh, one, one, uh, interesting theory I've heard is that because GPs are canceled, these have been a great way for stores to, and I mean, most LGSs are closed. Most, uh, most stores have been accumulating lots of like collection buying and people selling singles and and whatnot at GPs. So that's the main source for them to restock their supply. So when people are getting the, uh, stimulus checks, um, and they're wanting to, you know, spend some money if they don't have uh, to any like pressing bills to pay. They want to spend some money on their hobby. They're buying all these cards that they've been putting off, and then they're draining the stores of their supply. And thus, uh, when the stores can't restock, just driving these prices up very high.
2: This is a hundred percent accurate, and this is why my collection is going up because I don't have an online presence. But yeah, I, every card that people are is bringing me that's older, I'm trying to price check, and you only use. I, I only check face-to-face when they have it in stock because they don't update their yeah. out of stock. And you can't check face right now because they don't have any cards in stock. Every relevant staple is gone. Everything. And I've never seen this from face before. They're probably just drowning in money, but they don't have any cards. And, yeah, it's... I mean, it's bad, but it's... There's, there's no way to dodge it. This is, like, you know, problem nine trillion 600 billion of the quarantine you know it's just a, a thing that happened because of the things that happened because of the things that mm. happened because of the bad thing
0: so do you so, think this is a a temporary do you think so yes is, is if, if people have their cards and they're like oh you know this price is very high uh maybe i should hold on in case it goes higher that's probably not a wise wise idea and also in terms of buying cards right now um if this oh, is going to go
2: so long that price memory is going to be a factor i don't think they're going to get punished on cards dropping when everything comes back i just think that the climb is going to stop
0: yeah so, so, so when gps open back up cards are going to die. do you think that uh that, that might be if people are wanting to hold out for for buying some of these staples that have climbed up in price significantly do you think just holding out until gps open back up would be uh sufficient to see some of these prices fall back down
2: so if you wait till GPs come out, then all of a sudden you're competing with the stores again. Uh, so I don't think you want to wait until the GPs come back. I think you want to wait until just before the GPs come back. Okay. If, if I had a card that I think is only super inflated right now because of the quarantine, and I was worried that it was actually going to plummet, yeah, a month before GPs come back would be the time I would be
0: liquidating. Now- that, oh, I, I was more talking about buying yeah. cards. So like, if I'm looking oh. to buy a staple that is that so, has shot up in price, should I wait until
2: oh, the okay. GPs open um, back up? Hmm. I, I, I really don't think there's going to be that much that falls. There'll be a bit, but it won't be as much falling as it will be just competing. Mm. Um, so, no, I think the longer you wait, the more it's going to be up. But the problem is, if you're the one that's buying the cards or listening to me here, a bunch of people do, it's going to go up because you guys bought it, so it might just be um you know a self-fulfilling prophecy now that being said i'm I'm not sure with the uh, with the
1: whole like um waiting for GPS to come back up, um we did get an announcement from Channel Fireball saying that Channel Fireball events is going to be dissolved um like very pretty soon. Uh, meaning that they will not be running the circuits or anything like that. And I'm pretty sure they're breaking the uh, monopoly agreement with Wizards of the Coast. So, like, that could also, like, pretty heavily affect uh, what card prices look like going forward if there are fewer GPs or potentially even no GPs uh, for a long time moving forward if there's not a comp- another events company uh, or events entity that picks up the slack there. True. Uh,
2: I did not yeah. know that. I had not checked on things in a long yeah. time, and I did not get that info.
0: So um, we, we have some know. other uh, some other points here, John, that that that, that you might want to comment on in terms of what causes card prices uh, to spike. So we, we've already discussed uh, buyouts, and I'm pretty sure that's kind of the uh, most obvious thing, reprints and whatnot. But you have some, some interesting points here that people might not be considering. Yeah, uh, I so made a uh, yeah, this, this is one you wanted to talk about, and that's uh, the rarity of the printed set symbol on, uh, in Commander decks. Do you want to just elaborate on yeah,
2: that? It, it's kind of just um, an illusion some of the time. So they, they have a philosophy on printing cards with a rarity. You know, if it's in all of the Commander decks, they put it at Common. Or if it's in a bunch of them, if they, it's not. But like Soul Ring is in all of them, and they still have that at Uncommon. Uh, and if it's in one deck, they put it at Rare or Mythic sometimes and basically none of that makes sense. I understand commons and uncommons are in, you know, all five commander decks sometimes, uh, and people should note that that means that there's five times as many copies, but if these cards are not in a package set, they don't have a real rarity. Um, But what it does do is it gives people a reason to consider the card at a value comparable to cards that are in sets that have the same or a similar rarity at the same power level etc so a card recently like fierce guardianship that's the blue one right yeah okay like that card is selling for like 55 canadian right now if they had put an uncommon symbol on that card it would be less and it does not matter at all that it would be only in one deck if it had an uncommon symbol they're just there for posterity and they're just there to uh, affect people's mentality when they're buying and selling these cards. It doesn't mean anything. Thought Vessel was a card I specked on a long time ago. Like r- right when it came out, it was a, a one to $2 card and I bought a hundred of them or something for one to two bucks. And the easiest part of that card was people thought it was a common. It's not a common, it doesn't exist. Uh, you can't open <laughs> yeah. it in your 11 cards out of a 15 card pack. Like it, it, it's not a common. It was in more commander decks than one, sure. It's not a common. That card is as powerful as cards at Rare and Mythic and as useful as cards at Rare and Mythic for Commander players. They're going to buy it. It's going to sell out. It's going to go up. Do not factor in the rarity of a Commander-only card like it's a real boy. It's not.
0: Yeah, that's definitely definitely something uh, I wasn't thinking about before, but uh, I'm definitely going to consider now. Uh, Also, here you have... uh, how
2: easy it is to cause a fake buyout or a perceived um, buyout
1: on that. i would say yeah is also
2: um, that was something that i was talking about earlier uh, with uh, gp buyouts as well um, they're not real buyouts you're not i'm not doing a, a buyout of a gp to try and screw the market or skew the market i'm doing it because it's the easiest access i have to a card before people realize that like stores realize that this card is of more value than they're giving it the credit for. Uh, I'm not trying to be the person that causes the market climb. I'm very happy if I buy out a card and it sits at the price it was for months. That's not the point of this, but you can cause a fake buyout because so many of the main stores on a site like TCG are at a Grand Prix. And if you buy out just one room at one time, even if the buyout is 30 copies, not a significant number for a market of just about anything. And I'm not talking reserve list stuff here. I'm talking, you know, a card I did years and years ago. It didn't really pan out, but it's a good example here. Orzov Pontiff. I bought a bunch of Orzov Pontiffs at one point. And I just, you know, that's you didn't take that many copies to eliminate a, a lot of the top stores on TCG from having any. And if you can do that without really causing much damage, you, it can still end up causing some damage by uh, the stores overreacting to it. And stores, like, are more than happy to try and think they're smarter than the other stores. And if they see somebody that they trust, who knows what they're doing, which a lot of stores know me, they see me do something, they probably get on board with it, and they will try to, like, fight each other. And if they fight each other, sometimes they'll cause the, the, the spike themselves, even though the buyout isn't real. So that's mm. what it means with a fake buyout.
0: Interesting. So, we've got two points left, uh, and our final point is going to be on uh, CEDH specifically. But before we get to that, uh, talking uh, talking about MTG finance without uh, you know getting into the RL a bit would be uh, would be a be bit of a sacrilege. crime. So, <laughs> so the uh, one thing I've noticed with the RL recently, and and it's kind of been an assumed golden rule with RL cards that you know they'll always go up forever um, but recently there was a crash and uh, you know now with, with the, the quarantine things are starting to pick back up but it, it, what do you think of that that, uh, that bit of wisdom that you know there, there's never a bad time to buy RL cards that uh, the prices will only keep getting more expensive or, or what, what do you think about you know crashing in RL or just kind of like the ebb and flow of uh, RL prices overall
2: there is never a bad time to buy reserveless cards. <laughs> I don't care about the crashes, any of that stuff, especially for people that I'm talking to and not necessarily myself. You're not going to have enough reserveless cards unless you're like a lunatic, myself included here, because yeah, I, I do have a lot of reserveless cards. But you're not going to have enough where a, a crash is going to affect you. You shouldn't be selling these cards at any reasonable rate anyway. They're the kind of cards that you make individual decisions on if you think a card is high enough that you want to get rid of it, even if it goes up later, that's fine. Um, I think buying reserve list cards and sitting on them is kind of a deep breath that you get to take where you're just, you're safe. You should feel mm. comfortable with reserve. List I know cards. we can, we not can believe to... Saffron olive, et cetera. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we, we can speak to, uh, some, you know, personal, we can give some personal anecdotes on this, uh, matt morgan and myself we were all getting into cdh at around the same time and buying a lot of the staples at around the same time uh and it is just paid off in spades yeah for <laughs> thank you john CDH. for the uh
3: the 70 mox diamond that you sold us <laughs> <laughs> yeah the
2: the uh let's pour one out for our boy
0: <laughs> the, the price of uh cdh if you're trying to get into the format now is absolutely just insane it's basically uh, a lot of these things were, it. were yeah less than half of what they are now for these staple cards i got like my mana crypt for a hundred dollars and i know that was a big purchase at the time and now it's you know just you know double or triple that so it's
2: not reserve list doesn't count it's no not reserve
0: idea. list doesn't count sure uh but yeah mox diamond mana crypt uh sorry not mana crypt uh grim monolith uh, well, yeah. Uh, do, do you want to hear my Grim Monolith story? <laughs> <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Yeah. 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 So yeah. let's let's Grim, hear it.
2: Grim Monolith is my most profitable card of all time. Period. Slam dunk. Not really. Um, I went to every face open that I you know was around for, for. Man, when did I start going to, to tournaments like that? You know, before 2010, anyway. And every time I had enough money to buy anything, I would buy Grim Monoliths from yeah. those stores. If I went to a GP, I bought Grim Monoliths. They were $25 Canadian. Yep. <laughs> uh, I ended up with 87 of them. And uh, at a GP Pittsburgh, uh, right after they really, really spiked, they had hit uh, about 130 US. I went to Star City Games and I said, uh, how many Grim Monoliths would you take? And the three vendors looked at me like I was, uh, you know, some idiot who had four and thought he was cool. And they said we'll take as many as you got, and I I dropped, I uh, I think I dropped like seventy-two of them on the table, and they had just all looked in one. I was like, I guess. Uh, I kept a few of them, but I ended up selling like yeah sixty plus grim monoliths to Star City all at once for wow. you know, trade credit. So six seven thousand U.S. cash. No that's, trade. That's so that's insane. It was really funny to see the look on three Star City vendors' faces who have seen everything and they're just like, all right, this guy's flexing on us. Now, what do we do? (laughs) It was good. Yeah, so I I don't
0: know. It, It definitely feels like looking back every time. I bought RL cards. I, I regret like I'm. St- I just still don't have all the duels. I'm still missing some uh, staples like wi- uh, Wheel of Fortune and whatnot. And I'm still thinking and like
2: everyone <sighs> missed the boat on Wheel of Fortune. Don't feel bad about that one. Like nobody, when, when that card hit like a hundred dollars, everyone was like, "Well, this card's done for a while. We're just gonna stay away from that." This card's <laughs> no. already like a poisonous uh, stain on the community. Let's just pretend it doesn't exist. The card also like doesn't exist. Like nobody even people looking for Wheel of Fortunes, unless you were like literally buying out everywhere on the internet, you never found a bunch of Wheel of Fortunes. I never, saw, I, I saw less Wheel of Fortunes than probably um, every... Definitely every Duel Land, but I'm trying to think of something else. Like Mox Diamonds and Lion's Eye Diamonds and stuff, I saw way more of those than I saw Wheel of Fortunes ever. It's just a card that just never happened. Yeah, like, uh, it, just ha- it, it spiked because it wasn't there, but it was never there to be found anyway. It, it was not like... It, it it never felt like a missed opportunity to me it felt but like to my, a to never
0: it's my point which was that you know every time i look back i i kind of regret not buying some of these rl cards sooner um but it just it i would feel weird giving the advice now that like oh buy R, there's never a bad time to buy rl buy rl now even though that kind of does seem to be the trend um it's just it it's such a feels bad to get into cdh now and that's why you know the cdh community is very very pro proxy and you know pro As I said, though, playing
2: online you can get your money back and especially on rl like you can like it sucks i understand it sucks and i understand it feels bad but it, i think it's the safest thing you can do with your money I, it's it's just like it's buying stocks it's just yeah. buying stocks and it's the best stock to buy it's you know google it's not going anywhere
0: yeah Fair enough. If you need, if you need to, uh, to sell them, you're probably going to be able to find a buyer. My,
2: my last big purchase yeah. was four cards in Toronto, all power for $7,000. And it's the best buy I've ever made. Se- second best buy I've ever made. And I don't feel a, any, you know, worry about it. And obviously I'm not saying people should just like throw down seven grand because whatever. I'm saying uh, you know, whatever your comfortable ratio is to that, it's just it feels safe. It was profitable at the time, but also it just feels safe. I don't feel like I've risked $7,000 when if you buy a bunch of other cards, even the ones that we're recommending, there's still risk and I don't feel like there's the risk here. It just hmm. might be stuck forever. And being stuck forever sucks too, but man, just you can so, spend 7000 and get 6600 back instantly if things change. And you can't always do that with other cards. So it doesn't hmm. feel like that to me.
0: The uh the last point here is on uh, CEDH uh, staples and CEDH spikes. So this is stuff that more we can uh, speculate on than than John, I think, because I know John isn't necessarily familiar with uh, you're, you're not really familiar with the CEDH meta and, and what kinds of cards and uh, the decks I, I are going on. I know these uh, cards.
2: I know that they have gone up. And if you ask me why, I would be like, because people drooled over them and they looked, like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Is so, really, yeah, yeah you, I, I can you, sit out for a bit if you want me to. <laughs> well, you can
0: chime in whenever you you have something uh, you, you think is is relevant to say. But uh, I'm, I'm so we've got a list of CEDH uh, uh, staples and, and cards that have gone up recently and, and have been uh, have spiked. So we'll just read this list first, and then uh, read Matt and myself can kind of talk about what we think this means. Um, and, and why this is this is going on so we've got demonic consultation sacred guide steel enchantment chrome mocks winds of change tainted pact extract uh baron god what's his what's his full title read master, uh, master wizard Western. master yeah. wizard yeah okay uh baron master wizard hermit druid plunge into darkness and curse totem so um and some of these have spiked very very hard so i think the the kind of Big ones here are to talk about are winds of change, which went from something like three bucks to now it's like forty bucks. Tainted pact, which was five dollars or ten dollars, not uh two two and a half years ago. Now ninety ninety dollars, eighty dollars, something foils. like that.
2: Um and
0: a base regular copies are eighty dollars. Yeah. Well,
2: okay, let's yeah Tainted check that. Pact, like two or three weeks ago went yeah. triple.
0: Yeah, um, uh Curse Totem uh used to be a uh you know $5 yeah, looks... Canadian card, so like, you know, 3 bucks, 3.50 US. Now that's like a $40 card. Yeah, there have been some some very very strong uh spikes from these cards uh and and you know, we can kind of speculate as to why. So So
1: like I would like to say just out the gate here, um my personal opinion on a lot of these uh quote-unquote spikes or uh jumps in price um are sort of just due to that's oracle honestly. Um I I I think Yep. Hermit Yeah I, I think I think in part it might be because there's interest in them for CDH purposes. Sure, but I think a majority of the time it's just because people look at Thassa's Oracle and they're like, oh okay, what else is good with Thassa's Oracle? I don't care if it's legal in any formats, but just like what's good with Thassa's Oracle in general.
3: Well yeah, a card that can remove yeah, your great, library Awesome. Let's, let's buy
1: a bunch of those cards. So I think I think a lot of that is why we see stuff like Consultation, Tanpact, uh Hermit Druid, Sacred Guide, all those go up. Obviously there's a lot of stuff about Hermit Druid spiking before Oracle was spoiled, me, but we
0: could also talk about before this, um before before the uh the last ban announcement, uh Flash and Protein Hulk were <laughs> climbing up there. Um yeah, it it yeah. and that is very much a CDH thing yeah. because, you know, as as we've discussed before, Flash did not see uh much, you know,
1: if at all play in uh in in casual and yeah. casual
0: So I, I so. like I definitely
1: think those were uh, I think that was sort of because of CDH. I think it was this combination of it being really prevalent and really good in CDH, but also it was getting a lot of attention, right? Um like a lot of attention for a lot of different content creators, uh, which makes sense in the way that like it would be pushing up the price. I think yeah. specifically in this All case, the top commander
3: podcast talking yeah, about CDs. Yeah, I think
1: specifically absolutely. with the stuff that we have in this case, um, it's a lot of stuff with Oracle being printed and being very obviously good, and then having a lot of these old cards that somehow see play in some random formats, or people just want to own maybe for cube, maybe for whatever else. Uh, and just again, like the recurring theme of low supply, suddenly increased demand equals um, spikes. And then also when you see, I disagree. I think there's actually been
0: a quite a fair amount of targeted buyouts in CDH because a lot of these prices, price increases are not. We would not get the impression that this is just from a all of a sudden spike in natural demand, like Curse Totem, for example. So I, so I, I, I agree with the other stuff here. This card going and, and no, I, winds of so change. I, Right. These are cards that are, are played in, in top tier CDH decks and have been for a long time. And there hasn't been a steady growth of these. It's not like all of a sudden these so are I, um, you know, oh, you look back for the past uh you know two years and Cursed Totem has been creeping up ever so slightly. No, this card has just shot to so the I moon, definitely, I, And you usually only see it. I definitely that from agree buyout.
1: with uh, some of the other cards in this list. I was just making that note for specifically the deck emptying stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I totally agree with stuff like we see with Cursed Totem Winds of Change, uh Steel Enchantment is a big one. Um also uh
2: like W- Winds of Change has been like fifteen bucks for yeah. a long time. It It wasn't three dollars recently.
0: Hold on. Let's let's pull up uh, MTG stocks. Yeah, I don't a I've think been mine. selling
2: Winds of Change over well over ten dollars for. Well over we're a ta- year I'm for talking sure.
0: about uh, USD here. So um, I have I mean, it as three dollars in July twenty seventeen. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, then that's, it, that's it, it it enough holds enough. five dollars for up until April twenty twenty.
2: Okay, well, we yeah. yeah, I guess we just didn't see that in Canada. I don't know
0: why. Um, but yeah, that that's that's one where it it's not really super. It's it's somewhat synergistic with some uh, casual decks, you know, maybe like Nekusar but like we, we, and, we would and have whatnot, seen the spike but, uh,
1: at Nekusar being printed or whatever. Like there's there's, there's yeah, no exactly. there's no huge synergy with it that was just printed to warrant it, right? Same thing with like Curse Totem. Curse Totem is a card that's a staple in CDH for a long time and would have seen like increased pricing in regular EDH if people had like ever decided that it was an effect that they wanted so the fact that it's a recent spike is um definitely indicative of there being at least some attention on the format i mean i w- the the one thing i think is is kind of What's become obvious to, or at
0: least this is my theory, what's become obvious to some of the uh, MTG finance people out there who, who are trying to spec on CDH is that CEDH are like the the whales of EDH players. Um, John, I'm sure you can speak to this a bit. Where who out of, out of all of your the people who buy cards from you who play EDH for EDH purposes, who spends the most money on, on cards?
2: It's not the CDH players. Really? Yeah, I, yeah it's the yeah, people that I want to really flex agree. on their friends. <clears throat> so and, it, it, I think it's, so it's, I, think a, I, think it's
3: a, I think it's a consequence of a relation where a lot of the strong CDH decks have a lot of reserve list, and like if you want to paper out your CDH deck, like you do, you are kind of forced. Into I think it.
2: like it's
1: also
3: that, I mean, that was kind the, of what the my bottom end. Was, Matt, exactly,
0: yeah.
2: Okay, the bottom end of CDH players spends infinitely more than the bottom end of none. but the top end are the people that either want to flex on their friends or they want to have multiple decks so that their friends don't have to buy a deck and they can play with this guy's decks, or it's, which I get a lot of from the uh, the military college specifically, it's friends just coming in, buying like 50 bucks worth of cards because their friend bought 50 bucks worth of cards and they need to beat them, and then that guy comes back and spends 100, and then that guy comes back and spends 100, and then that guy comes back, guy comes back. so it's just that. So nice. those are the three things that spend the most money. All three of those are people that spend more than the yep. CDH players, but then the CDH players all come in next, and then the rest of the casual players come back. after I think that. a lot of it. So it's they're just very consistent. A lot of it as well,
1: though, is like I I don't think it's a direct consequence of CDH players buying cards, and I don't think it like it, It's just too small of a section of the community for purchasing power to actually make sense there. What I really think it is is it's like just CDH as a concept receiving probably more attention in content than it's worth in population size and that combined with the fact that a lot of cdh players play cards that are good and have low attention just because you have to dig really deep to find synergies sometimes uh and you end up like dredging up yeah. these hidden gems power level wise that eventually trickle down to the rest of the community and generate interest there
0: uh, my my point was more that I think speculators are are kind of realizing that if if it's almost like a bet on CEDH itself that it's growing in popularity and that the CEDH players are going to be buying these staples, whereas in a casual format with no real meta, right? They might just avoid their doubling season and go with uh, something else or some other synergy piece or just build a different deck. Whereas in CEDH, um some of these cards like you know tainted pact consultation whatnot that's that's kind of you know half the meta at this point so yeah one thing to say though, though about, about the very tainted tainted package popular.
3: is it's been like relatively cheap probably for the past and it's been strong for probably the past like five years
1: so i would say it's been yeah, strong pre-jace printing i'd say it was like definitely a viable secondary uh wincon plan but yeah, yeah. but
3: certainly on the radar of most CDH players and absolutely below the like $50 price point to just get them to
1: assemble the whole
0: package. Mm
4: -hmm.
0: Um, yeah. Uh, anything else, uh, anyone would like to add about, uh, CDH? Like, I think pretty much CDH is, is growing in popularity. I think that's a trend that we've all, uh, noticed as, as CDH players, more people coming into the community. Um, no, more more posts on the subreddit, more yeah. you know engagement, lots of viewership online. I think I think the big thing that that has caused a recent spike in uh, people joining the CEDH community is content creators like the Spike Feeders, playing with power, casually competitive, um, who are, are getting you know these these gameplay videos out to uh, tens of thousands of people. So. Yep. generating an interest and and these people wanna, want to want uh, to these new players want to you know build paper cdh decks and causing spikes <laughs> so so yeah
3: also i think like the, the i hate to bring it up again but the flash ban absolutely brought a lot of attention
0: oh certainly yeah, yeah.
3: and like I, you can't say necessarily that these spikes are related to the flash ban because it kind of they did start happening before that but i think like flash ban reassures that these spikes are going to be successful in my mind at least
1: yeah and i mean like also yeah like it, it could also just have been at the time when flash was being considered for ban or when people were pushing a lot for flash ban that there was a lot of the counter argument being like oh like obviously oracle is going to be really good after flash gets banned and there might have been people seeing that and just jumping on the train of oh well if it's going to be really good and they're probably not going to ban it might as well pick up the synergy pieces in case people want to buy into it after flash is gone right yeah i
0: guess a closing a closing thing to say on this before we uh we move on would be <laughs> there speculators are going to speculate on on every format it happens in modern happens in in stand i mean as john said it's not really like the best thing to spec on on standard or uh well, especially standard but you know maybe not uh super wise to spec on modern um in the same way that you can spec on edh but this this is the kind of thing that that we have to deal with and uh you know complaining about it and, and just shouting into the void doesn't really actually do anything we kind of just have to live with it and uh the increased uh card no. prices but you know proxying is always an option there's different meta decks that don't require you know a full fetch land and you know og dual land mana base and tainted pact and all this you know bs you can build budget versions of decks and they're out there uh there's plenty so, yeah. of
2: battle bond lands around to buy people want them. <laughs> <laughs> they're all yeah. in a box la- labeled mischief managed nice <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay then well before we close the show uh where it's time for everyone's favorite segment and that is gut check Gut check, check.
4: <sighs> gut
0: che- <laughs> it's not the same Morgan, <laughs> there's here. no contrast yeah.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay well so today's uh gut check question is very thematic and that is what are some cards to keep an eye on uh price-wise right now so you know you can list multiple or, or just one i guess one is fine um yeah, do you guys have uh have, have some cards you, you, you're you're thinking might be uh prime prime targets for other uh, just jumping up in price or not properly valued right now
3: uh yes I do in fact uh, but it has already been it. mentioned and we had we certainly had a bit of a discussion but I, I do have uh, more to say on it but that's that's manifold uh, every single deck that I've ever thought of putting a manifold in I've bought a new one because I'm like I don't I hate to spec but like that card is not at all what it's going to be and as far as value.
1: Yeah. Can't be. And also the,
3: like it's just too similar to other cards that are just
1: extremely And they expensive. can just they can never reprint it, right? Is the issue. And they can they
3: never reprint it they
2: did just yeah, yeah, reprint it. Yeah, but like, it's, it's not something that like yeah. you see a large
1: <laughs> amount of reprints for right? Like it's just
2: yeah. It's not going it, in a the standard legal set, it's such a small level too. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. It's, it's going in one of these limited print run sets or it's at some crazy rarity.
1: Uh, Reed? Um, I mean, mean? so obviously this just falls into the category of always buy RL. You can never have enough RL. But um, one of the ones that I've had my eye on forever at this point is Carnival of Souls. Just because the card's effect is very unique. It's on RL. It's incredibly cheap right now uh, for what it is. It has a lot of... I can definitely see this just going into a bunch of casual aristocrats decks. All that good stuff. Um, I'm not sure that... like. I'm not sure that it doesn't have application in CDH as well, so if you just want to pick it up for that reason, but I mean, like, I'm seeing, what, like $3 US right now, it's RL, super unique effect, very well costed, I don't know, pick it up while you can.
3: Yeah, it's one of those cards that kind of just gets broken by the printing
1: of... Uh, just like one um, thing, right? Like, you just you just getting need, getting like, printed. one thing uh, to get yeah. printed, and suddenly Carnivals of Souls is playable.
2: Uh, John, what about you? Okay, hey, uh, I'm just going to make two quick points on those comments, and then I've got one coming out of left field here a bit. Um, the meta thing is most important for people to think about because if that card does hit the number we think it's going to, you're just going to feel so dirty. At least if a different card that's lower spikes a bit, it doesn't feel as bad. You're going to feel so bad if you don't get Metavolt and it ends up in three digits. Uh, second of mm. all, I remember an old Inquest magazine where it said Carnival Souls was the worst card ever printed. <laughs> I just wanted to bring that up because it was real funny. Um, the third thing is I'm going to go with a different card uh, that involves a Double master Spoil already, and I'm going to say Primal Vigor. Okay. Ooh. Okay. Because Doubling Season is coming back, the other things that do similar things are going to bounce. Um, Parallel Lives has already done that. Anointed Pre- Session has already done that, and I think Primal Vigor is uh, the shortest printing of them all. Of all of those types, I think Primal picker has the least, and I think that's the one that's going to do the most damage.
3: Yeah, well, okay. looking over the past, uh, like, 20 like, yeah, twenty days, it has been going up.
2: <laughs> well, I didn't know that, so... <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, there you go. But that's,
3: yeah, I mean, that's still, like, a good example. Yeah. Procession oh.
2: and, and Parallel Lives can do some more but I don't think they're doing more at a ratio that's going to offset what doubling season might do if it does a big drop on double masters. Primal figure is the one that could end up at the, the number that doubling season was at prior. Mm. If it sees as much, I know doubling season is the, the one that people want the most, so it should be higher, but supply and demand was also going to be skewed even more towards primal figure being harder to find. So it might actually offset that. It's not quite as good as yeah.
0: Okay, and for myself, uh, I think you guys had some pretty like solid. And this is this is more this isn't this is uh, less solid advice than I think uh, your guys' answers and mine. Mine is recurring insight, uh, which is a card that I think has been uh, CDH players. It's it's fringe playable CDH and like mono blue decks. It is people. It is jokingly called the uh, blue ad Nauseam, and. It just has such a a strong effect in um, in in casual EDH and like mid power and stuff, and I just think it's tremendously underplayed. So I think that's a card that uh, it, it also only has one printing um, in an olderish uh, standard set. Certainly so, old enough. Yeah, yeah old enough. enough. Um, so uh, that's when I think that if uh, more casual players catch on to the strength of that card um and it becomes a staple uh of the tier of like consecrated sphinx or um no i mean it's not a consecrated sphinx or secret but it but if it catches if it gets the same amount of like oh you know i'm playing a blue deck i should include consecrated sphinx i should include recurring insight because it's so good then uh then it's probably going to uh, increase but in it's price it's
2: staple level yeah it's it's, yeah. it's that
0: good and i just think people are sleeping on it right now so yeah
3: that's it does, my pick. It does kind of fall between like the too good for high power, not, not, not good enough for CDH, I think, that, like, for me, it is a weird spot. Yeah. Yeah, like, no, I it, like, it stays means. It stays off my radar for that reason. That, that being said, like, it is definitely a strong card.
2: <laughs> Another reason that it could definitely go up is because it stays off everyone's radar, because it's just not indexed right now that would want that effect. People just don't know it exists. There's a card that I was on a long time ago, uh, Dragon Arch it it was like a dollar because people didn't know the card existed and at one point it hit $15 because I started showing people that card and people were buying it and I guess it caught on somewhere else and that card was up for a while. It's back down now but yeah. Recurring Insight could be a card very similar to that.
0: I think Recurring is that- Insight is one you know amazing command zone or game night's appearance from just going gangbusters. Yeah, that, so. that's definitely true. <laughs> yeah. And that seems like a card that they would put in, uh, that someone would put in their deck so, you know take buy buy your uh, copies of recurring insight now well they're only two bucks <laughs> okay well that wraps it up for this episode if you guys would like to reach out to us with any questions comments or concerns you can contact us on twitter at into the north pod via our email into at gmail.com or on our discord server the invite link for which can be found in the description for this episode next extra special thanks to all of our patrons who help cover the expenses for our show and allow us to work towards improving the quality of the podcast if you too would like to become a patreon we are at patreon.com slash into uh thank you as always to the band vox cadre for our lovely podcast music to nate slover for our equally lovely podcast logo to our long suffering podcast editor roadkill and to john for being a guest on this episode next episode will be out in two weeks until then peace see
2: bye bye